Hi, I'm Dr. Robin Koslowitz, clinical psychologist, parenting educator, and post-traumatic parent. Welcome to the Post-Traumatic Parenting Podcast, where we learn to provide our children with a healthy childhood, even if ours was anything but. Or maybe we had a wonderful childhood, but recent events in our lives have left us reeling. Let's face it, after 2020, we're all post-traumatic parents now. Welcome. Hi, welcome to a very special edition of the Post-Traumatic Parenting Podcast. Today's guest is author, stunt woman, all-around incredible person, Kimberly Shannon Murphy. If you've ever watched a movie where there is a really tall actress and then there's a really scary stunt like falling out of a window or jumping onto a moving motorcycle or horse, you've probably seen Kimberly Shannon Murphy's work. She is also the author of one of the most incredible memoirs of surviving and of post-traumatic parenting that I have ever read. The book is called Glimmer. It's out now, available wherever you get your books. It's also really brilliantly narrated on Audible by Caitlin Olson. So you could listen, you can buy it. The book is incredible. Before you listen to this episode, I just want to provide some trigger warnings. This episode talks about post-traumatic parenting after experiencing incest, molestation, and really painful, violent assault. So if that's not the energy you need in your life today, save this episode for later. Maybe save this episode for right before therapy. If this kind of information and honest exploration of incest is painful for you to hear or triggering, this may not be for you because we do get pretty deep into the nitty gritty of what it means to recover from this kind of abuse and what it means in terms of becoming a mother and the physical aspects of mothering that can be altered by the body memories of incest and molestation. So keep that in mind when listening to this episode. This might be an episode that you save for right before you go to therapy. This is definitely not an episode you want to listen to while your kids are around and listening in. So fear warning about that. In thinking over the episode, now that I've had some time to process it, I first want to say how incredibly courageous Kimberly Shannon Murphy is for sharing her story, which is a very private, sacred, tender story, and in really elucidating what body memories of trauma feel like and really showing us what someone who's at the top of her game professionally somebody who's won accolades for her professional work, what the inside life is for someone who is a trauma survivor, who is really expert at what she does, and yet has all this trauma she's processing under the surface. Like I always talk about myself as a duck, right? Where the duck looks like they're so serenely floating on the lake, but under the water, the legs are churning madly. That's what it feels like to be a post-traumatic person. That's what it feels like to be a post-traumatic parent. I think it is such a kindness when any duck shows people and shows the world the legs churning madly under the surface. Another thing that, I, that really struck me when I was talking to Kimberly is this idea that 
the way our trauma superpower can be both a strength and a weakness. One of the reasons why Kimberly is so unafraid of physical pain and so unafraid of exerting herself and jumping headfirst out of a plate glass window down 10 stories is because she is so used to pain because of her cutting and because of her history of self-harm. And it really illustrates the way a trauma superpower can be wonderful in the context it works for. It's great in terms of being a stunt woman. Really difficult when it comes to parenting our actual children because parenting is so embodied. So that was something that really struck me from our conversation and from the book. I want to present you with the episode now. I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I really enjoyed and learned from recording it. And I highly recommend the book. You can find Glimmer wherever you find books. It is a great read and a great listen. I both read it and was furiously underlining and listened to it on Audible. And I got different things out of both formats. So could not recommend this book more. But fear warning, if this is a topic that triggers you, be prepared for the triggers. I think you'll come out of it wiser, but it's definitely a fascinating read. It's definitely an easy read in terms of readability, but it's definitely a harrowing read in terms of post-traumatic people and what it brings up for us. Can't wait to hear what you think of the episode. You can also check out the post-traumatic parenting channel on YouTube, and you can check out my YouTube video in-depth book review of the book Glimmer, as well as a lot of other YouTube spots about post-traumatic parenting. Can't wait to hear what you think of the episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Post-Traumatic Parenting Podcast. This is one of the most exciting episodes that I have because this book is a book that I read. It is Glimmer by Kimberly Shannon Murphy. I read it like not only in one sitting, but in I was headed to give a workshop in a school actually about confusing touch and which we're going to get to. And I hired a driver because I was like, forget it. I need to finish this book and I have to drive there. So I'm just going to go with an Uber so I can finish reading because I can't stop reading. Then oh I downloaded the audiobook and listened to it again on my morning run. And I got so much more from the audiobook. It was so interesting what I picked up from each listening. This is the most gripping story. First of all, your personal story and your courage and your resilience in telling the story. I know as a therapist, that's not easy. It's just not easy to tell these stories. And then what you've lived through and how you've triumphed over it. Both of those things are just so beyond awesome. Forget about the awesomeness of your job. What you yeah. did in this book? Wow. Thank you so much. Yes, I had an amazing ghostwriter, which is definitely what I feel like really made everything come to life in a way that I couldn't have done on my own. Definitely captured your voice and your story, but it was clearly you telling the story. This was the stuff that you actually lived through. So just to, for those who don't know this book, if you don't know this book, like please run out and buy it right now and read it right now. I'm going to be doing a giveaway because it is just such a validating story. Can you share a little bit like kind of the thumbnail version of your story? Not yes. Thumbnail. Well, yes, I've gotten good at that. So my, I was abused by my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, my whole childhood probably started around the age three until he died when I was 11. This is something that was happening through generations of my family. 
My mom is one of six and, you know, I don't know everybody's personal story in their family, but I'm sure my mother was abused. Her sister was abused and Lord knows how many others he affected. I don't think that there was probably a child that came across him that wasn't hurt in my opinion. Yeah, that is, it's so much to unpack and to go through. I treat trauma survivors all the time. And incest, especially, as opposed to, you know, stranger rape, can be so much harder to overcome because it is within the family where you normally go for safety. Yes. When you disclose your story, I think you had such an interesting sort of like the disclosure story. I remember watching the Lifetime movie that you and your mom watched, the one with the rocking horse and the girl who then remembered her father molesting her. When you watched that movie with your mom, was there that like sickening sense of familiarity? Like, did you feel it in your body? What was that like? It's funny because as I'm going through the process of writing the book and now talking about it and being now safe in my own body and my own space and being able to kind of recollect what happened then, I don't know that I so much forgot or had repressed memories. I definitely do have repressed memories in the sense of I still get them. I still get flashbacks. Things still come back to me. But I think that there was a sense of when he died, this safeness that I could speak out. And when I saw that movie, it was almost like for the first time, I felt like I wasn't crazy and I wasn't alone because for so long, that's how I felt. And to watch someone experiencing something that was happening to me that I couldn't make sense of or put my finger on what it was to watch it happen to someone else, it just made me realize like, oh my goodness, I'm not crazy. This actually yes. is possible. This happened to me and this is a thing. And and I think so many times with survivors of incest, there's so much confusion around it because the biggest thing we tackle when you get to that really big healing space where you have to look at the whole family unit and the toxicity of the entire family in order for the abuse to happen in the first place, I believe that's when you truly start healing on a whole different level because you're not just looking at the abuser. You're looking at, okay, how did this happen? How did all of the adults in my life fail me on such a massive level that this was my childhood? And it's so traumatic, right? Because adults are supposed to protect kids. Like from that deepest sense, our attachment system, people think of the attachment system as though it's a good thing. The attachment system is a really, in some ways, psychologically draining thing. It's a search engine, right? Like, am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? Is it a bear? Where's my mother? Is someone going to protect me? It creates much more anxiety than people realize. But when but the answer is supposed to be like, yes, you're safe. Yes, mom's going to protect you. And when that's not the answer, the kind of rip it creates in our psyche is something that people who haven't experienced trauma just don't get. For you, I think I was struck by so many things in your story and so much was similar. I think what you and I both experienced similarly is people really don't understand flashbacks And they don't understand how flashbacks can interfere, especially with parenting, which is my whole area of interest. People think of flashbacks as memories, but flashbacks Mm -hmm. are right now, in this moment, it is happening. The part of my brain that registered my trauma is activated as if it's happening right now, even if the first time it happened was 20 years ago. 
Like right now in this moment, it is occurring. I don't think anybody gets that unless they've lived it. I agree. And it's difficult to, especially if you're married or you have a partner to explain that because it's really, it's really unexplainable if you haven't lived through it or been through it. And that creates a real loneliness around it, which then creates more pain because obviously when you were going through the abuse, you were alone and scared and all those things. And so now you're literally reliving it. For a long time, I had, I don't know if you ever experienced this, but I had body memories. So I just like shake uncontrollably and feel really ill and sometimes throw up, but not have any visual attached to it. So I didn't understand what that was, that that was actually a thing either. So my body was reacting to this memory that I don't think my brain was quite ready to see yet, but I was experiencing the feelings through my body, which is extremely frightening. And then when I was able to put a name to it, it becomes a little less frightening, but it's it's still very traumatic yeah. to go through. The biggest For me, as a post-traumatic parent, that was one of the biggest reasons why I wrote the book because I have a very heightened startle response. I get physical flashbacks all the time. My trauma was very different than yours. I grew up with a chronically ill dad, like really ill. He almost died multiple times. And then when I was 16, I did CPR on him and he died in my arms. So my uh, my trauma story is very, I get very physical flashbacks, but especially sudden loud noises and touches really can trigger me. And when my twins were little, I remember one of them once ran over to grab me behind my, like from behind. And he was like shrieking with me. And I had a flashback. And then I was thinking, oh my gosh, I'm messing this child up. Like my trauma is traumatizing my kid because what kind of a terrible mother, like her kid comes to hug her and she freezes. Like, and from other, I had other family trauma. So from hearing that I'm not feminine and I'm not nurturing and I'm, you know, lazy and going to be a bad mother. So from hearing all those messages, it just fed right into that. Like, here I am, a bad mother. What mother doesn't like embrace her child's hug with joy? And that was the biggest thing for me why I decided to write the book because of that body memory. Parenting is so physical and trauma is so physical. Putting the two together, really hard. Yes, very hard. But I also feel like because I've been there, what you're saying, where I feel that way. I'm screwing my daughter up because I can't show up in the ways that I could have shown up if my trauma didn't happen. And that's a really tough one. And I think it's just accepting that the only thing that you can do about it is heal yourself and make a conscious effort every day to continue the journey of healing and to work through your things because we can't take away what happened to us. We can't change what happened to us. We can't make it any different. And that's why it was so important for me to tell my story as well, not only for me, but for my daughter, because when she's old enough to read the book, if she chooses to, she'll understand me in a way that will explain a lot of who I am, of who I was as a mom and as a mom, as much as I try to be all the things and show up in all the perfect ways. It's just not, it's not possible when you've had fear trauma just isn't. So to have an answer for her and also the other people in my family that might be curious about where our family actually comes from and and why we behave and pattern in a certain way, that was such a huge part of why I wrote the book. Yeah. 
I feel like telling your story is the ultimate in self-care because it's literally caring for the self. Like the self needs to tell the story. I have this belief that unspoken words are toxic and telling your story doesn't always have to be told the way we're telling our story in a public stage. Sometimes it's telling it in therapy or telling it to a close friend, telling it in a, you know, in a group, but telling your story, just telling it is so much more self-care than, you know, going and getting a massage. I mean, that's lovely too, but self-care that this is my story. I am owning it. I am reclaiming that. I also have this belief that self-care is childcare because mm-hmm. I know for me, I, when I read in your book about martial arts and how like your martial arts really let you reclaim your body, I did the same thing. I mean, not to your level at all, but I have a black belt. I teach self-defense. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. And I'm not a natural athlete at all. One of the things I read in your book, I was like, I always envied the athletic girls in my class because I was very traumatized growing up just from the constantly being around death and dramatic scenes. I had too much adrenaline and I always wished that I had the release of physical movement. Like I had a friend who could turn multiple cartwheels and I was like, I wish I could do that. I could just like throw myself into the air because it would, it would release me. And I had the sneaking suspicion that then I wouldn't have been traumatized, although I didn't know what trauma was back then. But reading your book, I was like, oh, the girls who can throw themselves through the air also get traumatized. Like that wouldn't have been a solution. Oh, yes. And it's interesting because when I had a conversation with Dr. Bruce Perry, who I'm not sure you're familiar with him, but yeah, yeah, he's incredible. And he was one of the first people to read my book, actually. And he said that to me, you know, Kim, you had coping mechanisms that were unhealthy, like your cutting and bulimia and things like that, but also your dance and your gymnastics and all the things that you were doing were so healthy and healing for you. I didn't realize at the time that that's what it was doing for me, but I did feel what like my body would feel after, like I would take a dance class or I would do yoga or whatever it was that it, something in my body changed, something in my brain changed. It gave me a sense of peace. And when you're a trauma survivor, the sense of peace is not really anything you feel. And when you do feel it, it's very few and far in between, I feel like. Yeah. The first time I really quieted the chatter in my head was in martial arts. When I I joined martial arts because I was treating a lot of rape trauma syndrome and I was holding it in my body. And I was working with a young woman who had been violently assaulted. And she was a woman from a very sheltered, like fundamentalist religious background. So she didn't even know much about sexual assault. So she couldn't even categorize as she was being raped. She couldn't categorize what was actually happening to her. And usually in therapy, we somehow expose you to the thing you're afraid of. And I'm thinking like, how do I expose her to being assaulted on the street? So I realized I could hire a self-defense instructor and I could expose her to the concept of self-defense. And we went from agoraphobia, where I could only treat her over the phone, to her coming in a van to my office to this to hiring a martial artist to come in a a self-defense instructor and teach both of us together because she wasn't going to do it alone to be joining that martial artist gym. And she said to me when she met me the first time, she's like, Robin, you are not a natural. This was Muay Thai. So she was the crew, which is like the sensei in Muay Thai. And she's like, Robin, you are not a natural martial artist. I said, but I am probably the hardest worker you ever met. And I did. I stayed there for years and I got my black belt, which took me years because I am not physically talented. Like I am just well, it like, it should not, take you years. It should take yeah, years. It should take you years. About. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, I was very often the worst in the class and I sometimes failed tests and it sometimes took me a year to master a kick that some 16 year old mastered in a single session. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love it. 
but I did. It was great. It was, and I, what, what martial arts did for me in the same way, what you're saying for me, martial arts gave me the ability to interpret my body's signals so much more, so much more accurately. And mm. suddenly, like, let's say my kid startling me, I understood, oh, it's my adrenal response. I'm going into fight mode. This is okay. Um, but I really knew that not just intellectually, but from a body sensation. So I remember one time a friend of mine saying to me, like, do you ever feel a little selfish going to like, you're going to take your martial arts class and you're leaving your kids? Because like at, at the end, when I was like really going from brown to black, it was a lot. <laughs> there was a lot of training. And I said, no, because when I'm at the martial arts gym, I am parenting my children. Because if I yeah. get my adrenal response under control and my body becomes mine, I'm a better mom. Right uh, now I'm yeah. parenting them away from them. Yes, completely. Yeah, that's such an important point. And it's so important for us to take care of ourselves because if we don't take care of ourselves, we can't take care of our children. And when you've been through trauma, that's just a much bigger thing to tackle than if you didn't grow up with it. Yeah. And I think like you, a lot of incest survivors, a lot of trauma survivors, we become people pleasers, especially as women, because we're taught that have too much self in a family isn't good, right? And you're supposed to be selfless, especially if you're a woman. But then how do you bring your whole self to parenting if you're selfless? You need right. a self. Yes. And I feel like in your family, especially your sense of self was a little threatening. Like you had to be silenced. I was very threatening to my family because I was the truth teller. And that's how I always was. And I always spoke up when everyone else was afraid to about honestly about whatever situation was going on. And that obviously continued into my adulthood with writing the book. And that was a really interesting process. And I think that's why there's not a lot of books out there like this about incest, because in the beginning, when I got my book deal, I was like, okay, I made a list of all the people I have to call and talk to and make sure they're okay with the fact that I'm doing this thing. And I thought about everybody else, but not myself. And just wanted to make sure that dad was okay and mom was okay. And and in the book, I write about one sister. I actually have three. So nobody was really okay with it. Um, My parents were supportive, but I think telling our story to the world was not something that anybody really wanted. Which is what abusers count on, right? Like that that silence is what every abusive person everywhere in the world looks for. Yes. Yes. And it breaks my heart for my sisters and for their children, because one of my sisters said to me, you're going to ruin all of the children's lives by doing this. And that in the moment, at that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, am I, I, maybe I am going to ruin all of their lives. Now I don't feel that way at all. I feel like I'm actually saving their lives because when they get older and they're trying to figure all of this out, they have somewhere to go to make some sense of what our family was and why things happened the way they did. Yes. And undoing that shame, like I'm going to talk about it and you're going to try to shame me. And you know what? I'm not ashamed. That in and of itself is so healing. I had this experience. I give workshops in schools, anti-bullying and social and emotional learning. I went into a school and the kids told me the story. I was so proud of them. I I talk about confusing touch. So one of the things we talk about is confusing adults. And confusing could be benign and innocuous, and it can be confusing. One of the things we say is we don't keep secrets. Secrets make my stomach hurt. I don't like secrets. 
but we do talk about surprises. So a art teacher came in a new, like a substitute art teacher. He walks into the second grade and he says, we're going to make this secret for your moms. And then they're going to come in on parent teachers day. And a girl raised her hand. She goes, Mr. Smith, you're being a confusing adult. Secrets are bad. We don't keep secrets. You meant surprise. And then a little while later, I come in for social emotional learning. And she says to me, right, Dr. K, he meant surprise, not secret. He was accidentally a confusing adult. I said he was a confusing adult. It was a mistake. He meant surprise. But I'm so glad that you told him and you told me, right? You went and you told because you were confused. The end of the story is a different kid's mom called me and she said, you know, I was very resistant to what you were doing because I was molested as a kid and I'm uncomfortable with the whole topic and I don't talk about it. And after the fact that you, I sent home these little like workshop sheets to the parents, like this is what we talked about. This is a skill we learned. This is what you might want to discuss with them at the dinner table. Um, And I was so uncomfortable and upset. I like threw the note out. I didn't want to even look at it. Is there help for people like me? Like, is there a grown up version of you? Like what you do with the kids? I said, yeah, I do that. Like I'm saying there are therapists who do that. Like what I do with the kids is not therapy. What I do with the kids is a workshop. But of course- There are grownups who do this and this is not scary to talk about at all. And it's, it's just like, it's too late for me. I'm like, it's never, ever, ever too late. Even just yeah. telling me, how does it feel? You're telling me your secret probably feels scary and a little bit good. Yeah. And I find too, that the people that are most reluctant to read my book or will say like, I, you know, I just can't read that or are, are the ones who actually probably really need to read my book. Because it, as you know, it happens so much. And I think the statistic is three to five out of five women, sorry, three women have been somewhat assaulted sexually. And 90% of that is people that the family knows, whether it's a neighbor or an uncle or an aunt or a cousin or a grandfather or a parent. So that is terrifying, honestly, because it's happening within the family system. And I think that's what makes it so difficult to talk about as well, because when you're speaking your truth, you're dismantling the whole system. And it has been generations of that system operating in that one way. And now they can't operate in that way anymore. And so they don't know what to do with it. They think it's going to fall apart. But really, if it's handled in a healthy manner, it becomes a new system, a better system, a system that doesn't disenfranchise some to enable others. And it's a new family that everyone's much more comfortable in, right? Like it's a family that people, I had someone send me a message that I posted about estrangement. And she said, I don't know why you post about gentle parenting. Cause like, if they grow up in estranged from you anyway, what's the point? I, I get that she's coming from a place of pain, but the goal would be to raise kids in a way that they don't need to estrange, right? Like right. the idea would be, you know, what's the Selena Gomez song? I don't need to leave you to love me. Like I would stay in the family, you know? Right. Yes. Hi, friends. I'm interrupting this episode to let you know that we now have a post-traumatic parenting YouTube channel. Yeah, that's right. We finally have a YouTube channel. It's for everything that needs a little bit more of a visual component, maybe some pictures, maybe some demonstrations. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to YouTube, search for post-traumatic parenting and subscribe to the channel. Make sure to click the little bell in the bottom of your screen so you never miss a single episode. And please let me know if there are topics you'd like us to cover on the Post-Traumatic Parenting YouTube channel. If you do join the YouTube channel because you heard about it on this podcast, feel free to DM me or mention that in the comments and you will have my undying appreciation. Thank you for listening. And now back to the episode. But it's hard because, yeah, there's this fear of speaking up. And sometimes it's those tiny, subtle things. 
one of my parenting classes, I had a woman who had, there was like the creepy uncle in the family persona. And she's dreading the holiday party because after getting married and, and after having kids, suddenly like her body was feeling more touched out and more, it was more vulnerable. Plus bringing her kids, I think that she didn't want to examine was even more scary. And just the simple thing, I said, this is me being a self-defense instructor. When he steps towards you, step towards him, not away. Reclaim mm. the space, own the space. You get in his face. Don't let him back you into a corner. So mm. what she did was at the party, we practiced it like in group. And then she went, came to the party. Not, she stepped in his space and he took a step back. Like, yes, you just won that encounter. Like, you don't know what yes. you just did. And then she's like, yeah. here, hold this for me. And she hands him her drink and her food and she walks off. Oh my gosh. Everybody started laughing in the room when she told the story, but the reclamation of like, you don't get to touch me. Like, this is my space. I'm an right. adult. You know, her yes. inner child just must have been turning cartwheels. Oh yeah, completely. Yes. I mean, I've made the choice to step away from my family because I don't think it's not that I, you know, there are certain people in my family that I definitely don't trust, but I just don't think the whole system is, well, I know the whole system is not healing and it's not something that I want to subject my daughter to at all, because it's really interesting when you look at it through their eyes, through a child's eyes, because everything's very black and white. Why would they say that? Why would they do that? When, when me as an adult, I don't even question it because it's been my life for so long, but it's then you water. hear it come. Right. So, but then you hear it come from them and it's so simple. You're like, yeah. you're exactly right. I, I don't know why it doesn't make any sense. And so why are we going to put ourselves in that situation? And I know that it's not everyone's capability and everyone's on a different path and everyone's at a different space in their healing as yeah. well. So it takes a long time to get to that place, I think. And it also obviously depends on the level of toxicity that's happening in your family as well. Yeah. And it very often starts with, for the sake of my child, I'm going to do yeah. something that my inner child needed. You made that point in your book so well. It started with like, for my daughter, I'm going to mm -hmm. set boundaries with this family. Like I'm not going to normalize this absolutely abnormal stuff for her because why should yes. she ignore that signal in her stomach? That's like something's off here. I don't want to teach her to do that. I don't want to teach my kids to do that. But then for her, you healed you. Yes. Like that love oh. for her healed you. Yes. I think I realized through writing the book that I really, which I think was the hardest thing for me to come to terms with, that I never had a mother. And although she was physically there, she wasn't emotionally there. And so through doing inner child work and my healing and having my daughter, I'm able to parent myself and able to parent my daughter at the same time and doing that puts me in a really safe space where I can finally feel safe for the first time. Yeah. And this, it's so true. It's in parenting, we're parented. Like we really can read. I feel like all parenting is reparenting when we do it consciously and properly. One of the things I think like for your mother that I think is so, is so sad. It's something I point out in the book and something that I also, when I was reading it, it was a really powerful instance of this. When we say like trauma gives you a superpower, your mom mm. had a superpower of denial to the point where she edited out of the matrix that she was abused. Like, it's not like, oh, I don't want to think about this now. The memory did not exist on a mm. level that she could access it. It was deleted from the code. Yes. 
And I think people don't get that. Like when we say, oh, a flashback, or we say a trauma superpower, we don't just mean like, yeah, so she, she's good at not thinking about that. Like your mother loved you. It's clear in the book that she loved you to the extent that she could. Had she known about this, had someone come to her, like had like, you know, a little, I don't know, ghost of like, you know, herself past come to her and been like, you were molested by this guy when you were nine. Remember that? Don't send your daughter there for a sleepover. She wouldn't have sent you. Yeah. I think my mom, when it came to her father, my mom had, she has a a real like disconnective disorder Yeah, uh, where she can completely disconnect from her body. And I think that's the only way that she's able to survive. Um, and I think growing up in the household she did with him and then her mother also just being a complete narcissist. And in my opinion, my grandmother knew everything that was going on and did nothing about it. So for my mom, I don't know that she's ever been connected to herself. So I don't even know that she even understands what that looks like. Yeah. It's a pure trauma adaptation for your mom. Her brain couldn't tolerate what was happening to her. So it edited it out of the code. And once it's edited out, it's not there. People don't get that about like when we talk about trauma superpowers, it's like the narrative of every like superhero movie ever. And I realize how ironic it is that I'm talking to about superpowers to a superhero, (laughs) but like, (laughs) right, like a superpower, if you think about it, is great in the one instance that it works for and terrible everywhere else. And that's the plot of every Marvel movie ever, right? Like superhero tries to get married, bad idea, you know, and all sorts of chaos ensues because superpower for like killing bad guys doesn't work with PTA moms, you know, like it's always like that. Your mom's superpower was I can go on, even though my dad, my hero, my, the guy who like stops the township from cutting down my favorite tree is also like doing really horrible, sick, twisted, evil things to me at night. The only way that that brain doesn't explode is by editing it out of the code. Completely. Yeah. And people don't get that. Like my trauma superpower, I can dissociate, but like the world could be on fire. I wouldn't see it when I'm fully dissociated. Yes. Nobody gets that. Like people don't get that. That's not a memory. That's an alternate experience. Yeah. And it's, I think rewiring your nervous system is the only thing that really can kind of help fix that. Yeah. You know, the movie Wreck-It Ralph? No. So Wreck-It Ralph is like, it takes place in a video game. And one of the things is the, it's like a cartoon king. He's an evil king. And he like edits memories out of the citizen's code in order to keep control over them. And I always think about that. Like that is literally what, what trauma does. Like it can edit a memory out and then it's out. Or when you're engaged in your superpower, the rest of the world doesn't exist. Like all you have is your superpower. Like that's, that's absolutely it. So like for me, I'm very task focused and I'm very, I'm a problem solver. I'm very determined. Sometimes my brain looks at a kid, let's say one of my kids needs help with something. And I look at it as a problem to solve instead of a child who I love, who needs support Mm -hmm. through something. I'm like, I got to get her reading or, you know, I I have to fix this problem. Like I'm her mom. I don't have to fix it. But my superpower is like, you fix everything. You can do this. Like, yeah. You know, she's a person. Yeah. Relearning all of those things. Yes. Yeah. It's so much more difficult than people realize because like trauma starts all over again in some ways in the future. Like as our kids reach the ages we are, how old is your daughter now? Nine. Yeah. So that you must have had some of those sensations, like as she enters developmental stages, getting that feeling like your inner child getting very activated, like, oh my gosh, I remember what nine was like. Oh yeah. My, I mean, since she was born really, and every year you know, that was very traumatic for me in the beginning. Now I'm doing better with it, but to look at her 
and to see the life that I've so lovingly and so beautifully been able to give her and what I was dealing with at that age was so completely opposite and to see how innocent she is and how she looks at the world and how she has space to look at the world in those ways. I didn't have that space. I didn't have, I was in survival mode from the time I can remember. So I didn't have space to even know what I enjoyed or what I was good at. I just like did, I just yeah did what was in front of me. Yeah. What, what I was, you know, I'm going to join cheerleading. Great. I'm good. You know, and I was an athlete, so that's kind of where I, used my, you know, kind of put all of my energy into, but the fact that she can have that space to explore that and figure out what that looks like for her is a really beautiful thing to watch. Yeah. Sometimes some moms in my parenting classes talk about feeling envious of their kids and then they judge themselves. And Mm -hmm. it's like, no, you're just saying what you want. You know, I feel envious. My kids have a healthy childhood. And sometimes years ago, especially when my kids would be like roughhousing with my husband and it would be so uncomplicated, I would get mad because my inner child was so envious. And like, I would be like, it's supper time, it's bedtime. Why are we getting all riled up at bedtime? We have to do homework. And like, you know, because I was just so jealous, I just wanted to experience what it's like to have like a healthy dad that you roughhouse with. Yes. But then, okay, so I value that. So then I can do that. I can be a fun mom somewhat. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's a, that was something that was difficult for me too, to just get on the ground and play with her when she was young, because I never had that. And it felt really foreign to me. And so that was something I really had to work on. And then sometimes you can get to a point where it's so frustrating because it's all the things. Sometimes it just feels like it's like every single thing is, is a struggle or is a problem or is something that you have to fix where it should just be normal and maternal, but it's, you know, stuffed down by all of this other stuff that happened to you. So, you know, I've definitely had my days where I'm like, I just, you know, you just don't want to deal with it or look at it anymore. But unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. So you have to, you have to feel it to heal it, you've got to go through it to get to the other side, it's all of the things. And I think a lot of people feel like, if they go there, they'll never kind of come back from it. Like if they go to their trauma and try to deal with it, they'll never come back from it. And it's truly the opposite because you've already been through the worst. So everything else is just going to be brighter on the other side. It doesn't mean it's not going to be hard work, but it's definitely worth doing. Yeah. The memories are knocking on the door. If if you don't answer the door, they'll keep knocking. They'll knock on the chimney and the window and the basement. If you open the door, they open the door. You let them in. It's so true. I think even like the very beginning, I was crying with you, both when I read it and when I listened to it, when you were told by the doctor that because of the herpes, you wouldn't be able to have a natural birth and you would have to have a C-section. And just like that feeling like even just the start of motherhood already is affected by this trauma. It just felt so unfair. Yes. Yes, extremely. And I definitely had my moments with that. And then, you know, and then I go into breastfeeding and how difficult that was for me. And I mean, I don't know many people that have spoken about it, but like I say in the book, I Googled it because I was like, am I crazy? And it's a very common thing because it's a sensory thing. And that also felt so unfair because it felt like, you know, again, here's something that he's taking from me that I'm not able to do because of what happened. And I can't give my daughter this because of what he did. And 
I think it's really important for survivors to have these conversations because I think we get, you know, the shame pops up and we get ashamed of it. And so we don't want to talk about it. And we just think there's something wrong with us or, you know, the baby just doesn't want to breastfeed or whatever. But I, my anxiety was so high when I would try to feed her and I could see it on her face. Like she was feeling what I was feeling and, you know, wasn't fair to her. So that's why I started pumping. But I think it's really important to have those conversations because it be so lonely. And then you get the anger attached to it and then the blame and then all the things and all the feelings are coming back and you're putting this all on you when it's not, has nothing to do with you. Yeah. I think, and then you see all these moms on Instagram who are like talking about the bliss of breastfeeding and you're just like, and then you're (laughs) panicking that you're panicking because your panic hormones are going to go into the milk. And then you're panicking that your panic hormones are going into your milk. (laughs) like. It just gets, it's become such a cycle and it's so normal. Any of us, whatever your trauma was, but especially if your trauma was at all body-based, parenting is the most physical thing. I mean, we literally give birth to them from our bodies. So it's physical. And if you've been disassociated from your body's signals, then this is going to feel really foreign and really threatening. And I think the more we talk about it, the more some, you know, mom who's like, what is wrong with me is going to feel like, oh, no, there's nothing wrong with you. You're a post-traumatic parent. This is exactly what you are. Completely. And there's so many more out there than they probably even realize. And that is so true with the, and look, breastfeeding is the most beautiful thing. And for so many women, it it works and it's beautiful and, and all those things, but I think that there also has to be an acknowledgement out there that it's not that way for everybody and that people have their traumas that do manifest in that way. So there are two sides to that. And there isn't, I don't think people should feel shame because they may not be able to have this beautiful breastfeeding experience because of something that happened to them that they had no control over. Right. And in service of other beautiful experiences, perhaps this is one we're going to have to forego. I have that with anything in life with my kids. Like it would have been nice to be able to do this or that. But this year, this is the bandwidth we have. So yeah, we can do some of the things. We can't do all of the things sometimes, and especially breastfeeding, because first of all, not everybody has great milk. Not everybody, you know, like there's so many other physical factors that go into it. And not everybody can handle the flashbacks. A lot of people have flashbacks when they're breastfeeding, and that's normal. You got a lot of nerve endings. People really don't understand that. There's so much self-judgment. There's this idea that we should have this maternal instinct and like the baby's born and it's just lovely and everything's just beautiful and, you know these heavily filtered Instagram photos, like, well, and maybe we should be baking sourdough bread like three hours after giving birth or whatever. Like (laughs) a lot of behind the scenes that goes into those, uh, those uh, little beautiful montages. Completely, completely. And there's so much that is validating in the book, especially I think you've had the most incredible career. Like, you know, that's just a laurel you could rest on all day long. I think for people to know that someone who is as accomplished as you still had self-doubt and struggles and flashbacks and it comes back and it gets better and it comes back. I think anybody reading that will feel such a sense of hope. Yes, that was my goal. And I, I wrote this book for survivors. And so I feel like we did it in such a beautiful way where it's not triggering and even the moments that might be really intense where there's not many of them, but they're more hopeful and they're more healing than they are triggering. And so I'm really proud of the way that we did that. Yeah. 
It really was. I mean, I both read and listened to it because I get different things when I do that, um, which for me, those are only the books that I really like that I try to like do both. It was the kind of listening experience that I could only do while running because I needed to discharge my adrenaline right away. Like I, I, I couldn't like just listen to it and be still. And that's what I told a lot of people who I recommended it to. It was listen to it while running, while moving, while you have the headspace. It felt cleansing, but it almost felt cleansing the way a therapy session does where it's hard work, but it's so rewarding. Yeah. Thank you. Hard emotional work. It was very easy read, you know, like it was was fascinating and, and you know, you and your ghostwriter worked so beautifully together to really tell the story, but it, you know, because it's a story as well as a memoir, right? It's what happened. It's very readable, but it's, if you've been through any form of trauma, if you have PTSD, it's going to reawaken those feelings, but in a good way, like in a healing, oh, this is how it's, this is exactly what it's like kind of way. In a necessary way. Yes. Yeah. Um, And in terms of like reception to the book, anything surprise you or anything encourage you? I think what surprised me is when I started interviewing, I definitely did have a lot of still anger, which is it's funny or interesting to watch yourself back. And so that the whole like coming out and speaking about it has been a really big learning experience for me and also been really healing in a lot of ways. And I've learned a lot about myself through that because writing it is one thing and then putting it out in the world and having people receive it in a certain way. And, you know, people that aren't also ready to deal with certain things, like I speak a lot about forgiveness, and that was something that was very triggering for people that, you know, I don't believe in forgiveness when it comes to certain things and this being one of them. And it's very interesting how triggering that can be for people who have this idea of what, you know, that forgiveness is for you. And I'm like, yeah, but I have nothing to forgive myself for. I didn't do anything. (laughs) Right. So um, it's interesting. And I've had to learn to step back and say, okay, when people have such a strong reaction to something that I say, it's actually not about me. And it's about them and the projection that they're having from something that they've been through. So that's definitely been a big learning curve for me. Yeah, especially if you've been trained to be a people pleaser and to be silent, because that feels very threatening. I agree with you. I firmly believe anybody, especially like the mental health professionals who talk about forgiveness, you're not practicing psychology, you're practicing Christian theology. Yes. Which fine, if you're a pastoral counselor, and you're someone's coming to you for spiritual guidance, and you believe in your belief system that forgiveness is essential for healing, as long as they know that they're coming for spiritual counseling, not psychology, that's totally fine. Right. Forgiveness is not essential for healing, not from like a psychological perspective. I think letting go to a certain extent, like letting go of like actively ruminating and anger can sometimes totally. be healing. But forgiveness, I'm not going to, why should I forgive? I'll only validate the valid, right? I can't forgive the unforgivable because it's unforgivable. Should not have yes. happened. And I also believe that when we focus so much on the forgiveness, we're then putting the attention back on the abuser and we're not allowing ourselves to feel our feelings. And so now we're talking about, well, why aren't you forgiving this person? So it's becoming then about them when it's supposed to be about you processing and healing and dealing with. And of course there was anger and all of those feelings that come up. And that's part of the process of healing. You've got to work through all of that and, and heal all of that. And anger is a huge essential part of healing. 
But I do believe that when we talk about forgiveness, we do then put it back on the person that doesn't deserve the conversation. (laughs) Yeah. They don't deserve the energy at all. It's not about them, right? The healing is about me. And the, even the the idea of forgiveness for me, it's never resonated well with me. Whenever I've read it in a textbook, I'm like, but based on which study, like based on what psychological theory, this is completely theological. Yes, completely. And actually, Dr. Romney uh, has a book coming out called It's Not You. And we did a little talk about it. And we're going to do a little thing in January about it, too. But she speaks about the science behind forgiveness. And the studies show that if you forgive someone who continues to hurt you over and over, it's actually really bad for your mental health. So I'm like, there's science. Now everyone can just stop saying it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, Dr. Romani, not coming from like mainstream Christian background. So she's coming from a different spiritual upbringing. She can look at it and go, wait a minute, this isn't psychology. <laughs> like this is, you know, because you sometimes question things when you come from a different lens and you're like, wait a minute, I don't know that this is true. I certainly don't know that it's true that you need to forgive to heal. I think you need to make meaning of things for yourself. That doesn't mean that what they did was okay. It means that I made meaning of what happened to me and I made a mission out of it for me doesn't mean, you know, doesn't mean you got to send them flowers. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, you made me tough. Like, no, thank you. Uh, yes. yes Partition yes. is very tough and it is not exactly. a good thing. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like, you know, some of the information that's out there that does come from people who don't have PTSD themselves can be more harmful than helpful. So like, The fact that you have PTSD and you've spoken to so many experts and you've spoken to so many people and you've vetted what they did and you've tried it and you've tried so many steps on your road to healing. I feel like that in and of itself is instructive for anybody who reads your book. Yes, completely. Yes. And I've been very blessed to have those connections with those doctors and it's been really, really healing for me. It's just such a journey of courage. It is that in my book, I talk about the AIM model that I use in my parenting classes, which is acceptance, integration, and meaning um, Mm -hmm. for any trauma. So especially for post-traumatic parenting that like we accept what happened without trying to mentally undo it. We integrate that, those identities and then meaning, right? We integrate our wounded inner child. We work with that. And then like that meaning and that meaning could just be, I'm going to be a different parent for my kids. Like that's my mission. I'm going to break it, you know? Yeah. 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 And now when you think of your daughter and growing up and what she's going to think about her childhood, what's the emotion you attach to it the most? I think she is going to be able to move in the world exactly the way she's meant to move in the world without having things pulling her backwards because of trauma. Yeah. Because she won't have any. I'm really excited to see what she's going to do because she's able to live in her full self and feel safe and have all of the tools that I never had. And I'm really proud of that. Yeah, you should be like that. That deserves pride, you know, and and so hopeful, right? That like, look, your trauma did not traumatize your kid. The opposite, your trauma is what led you to become the kind of mom you are today. And that is what's setting her free. It's like the the springboard that she's launching from. Yes. I think that's hopeful for every post-traumatic parent to hear that like our trauma does not, I don't know, our trauma does not have to like traumatize our children. Our trauma can literally be the good thing for them in some ways. Yes. It makes us into the parent we should be. Yes. As long as we're doing all the things. 
Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And we're keeping on with the self-care and we're keeping on with our journey. And we're, and we're also accepting that there's going to sometimes be flashbacks. There's going to sometimes be setbacks. It can sometimes hit you out of the clear blue sky. There's going to be anniversaries of things. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't go away completely, we have to accept that the healing is cyclical and, you know, we keep spiraling, hopefully upwards in a better direction, but it yes. is a cycle. Completely. Yeah. So I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I think this conversation, I know, I know everybody in the post-traumatic parenting community was looking so forward to this. I think, because, oh, good. you know, I've been <laughs> hyping your book like crazy. Like this, this is a book you have to read. Be ready. Oh, but you have to read so it. Much. Thank you. Yeah. I thank you for writing it and for putting this out there in the world, because I think the more truth telling there is, the more people will be like, oh, me too. That happened to me. I should talk about it. I should process it because we have to break the silence or the silence stays. And it enables, you know, like I said, I hate secrets. Like, yeah, yeah. It's they keep you sick. Yeah. They keep you sick. You know, and the fact is that you undertook this journey of courage for every single person who reads the book and says, I'm going to speak my truth that's just a gift you're giving to the world. It's, it's beyond, I'm just in awe. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I think every post-traumatic parent is going to love this conversation because what we're talking about and how instructive it is for what the actual physical lived experience of parenting after trauma is like, I just appreciate you sort of elaborating on that story. Thank you. Yes. It's important. We need to have these conversations. Yeah, we definitely do. So I really, really appreciate it. And Thank you. Um, where can, you know, everybody like find your book now? Are there anything that you're promoting now or um, like new or like new things that you're going to be on? We're still promoting. We're hopefully this will be a film at some point in the next, I don't know, I'll just say like five years. That's my goal is to make it a movie. Um, but yeah, I'm still just doing a lot of promotions. You can find it on Amazon. The only social media I do is Instagram. So it's, um, Kimberly Shannon Murphy stunts, longest handler on the planet. And yeah, now <laughs> I'm it's Dr. with psychology. So like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Now my Instagram has turned, I'm um, say to all my stunt friends. I'm like, sorry guys. Cause it went from, you know, stunt, you know, stunt videos to like child abuse, but yeah. but you know, it's all for the greater good. So yeah. Yeah. That that's actually quite, that would be so interesting. Like one of those movie stars that you play will now play you. (laughs) That's going to be very meta. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I cannot wait to watch that movie. That's going to be, it's, I know it's going to be a movie and it's going to be fantastic. Um, and yeah, everybody should definitely check out your Instagram because you post such helpful, useful, wise information that, is so validating for people to read. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. I wonder what little you would have thought of like the fact that you will one day grow up and heal everybody else. She probably is cheering inside. She's very proud, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's really impressive. So thank you so much. I just truly appreciate it. I'm going to do a giveaway for the, of the book. And like, it's just a thing that I am recommending that everybody check out. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Happy holidays. Yep. You too. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. I'm here on social media to be descriptive, not prescriptive. I'm here to educate, inform, and hopefully entertain, but never to treat. If listening to this podcast helps you realize that you need therapy, I am all for that. But podcasts aren't therapy please reach out to a mental health professional licensed in your jurisdiction. You'll be glad you did.
Wish post-traumatic parenting was a talk show, not a podcast? You have a question for me or for my guests? Great news. You can ask those questions by following me on Instagram. My handle is at Dr. Kozlowitz Psychology. It's also in the show notes. I love it when people reach out, DM, or post a question. Who knows? Your question might spark an entire episode. Come join our community. We get it. We're post-traumatic parents, too. Can't wait to hear from you.